I know a lot of people like to poo-poo polls and they say, oh, polls are not reliable. I'm thinking, really? Have you looked at the last two federal elections? They were right on the money for the most part. And so, you know, if polling is not perfect, it cannot be perfect, but it still gives you a good idea of uh, where things are. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. We are back to explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada to better help you understand what it means to follow Jesus in the various spheres that we have in our lives. And as we get set for a big year of provincial elections with them happening both in Ontario and Quebec, I've got some insight for you. So joining me, we have Philippe Fournier from 338 in Montreal. Thanks for doing this. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Off the bat, I got to ask... 338, inspired at all by 538, Nate Silver? It's a very good question, uh, but uh, the answer uh, is no. Is uh, When I created the site, uh, there were, and there still is, 338 uh, seats in the House of Commons of Canada. And that's that's pretty much what it was. The first version of the website is was for Quebec, and it's called Quebec 125 for the 125 seats at the National Assembly. So it's not very original. I just went with the, the very simple name, and the, the fact that it sounds a bit like 538 uh, is more of a coincidence than not. Good work from what I understand in the States. So if you guys are in the same conversation, then that's okay too, right? Mostly. <laughs> and uh, you're gaining a lot of attention given the success that you've had in, in estimating polling around elections. But it, you haven't been doing it for very long. And from what I understand, uh, the 2016 kind of anomaly polling election that was in uh, the U.S. caught your attention. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And so I've been following uh, polls. It's been a passion of mine. I'm an astrophysicist. And so in, in this field uh, of physics, we deal with a lot of uh, big numbers uh, and uh, statistics and computer programming. And so all these together made the, the, that I had always had a passion for following numbers and polls. But it was really during the Clinton-Trump election of 2016 that I saw something that enraged me, which meant that uh, the polls were not that bad, but the coverage, the media coverage of polling in the States was atrocious. By any uh, objective measure, uh, yes, Miss Clinton was the favorite, but she was not an overwhelming favorite that the, the idea of Trump winning would be unfathomable. And so to make an, a hockey analogy, if, if I may, uh, because I'm a big hockey fan, I also calculate hockey stats. When the 32nd place team in the um, in NHL plays the first place team, the odds of winning are about 30%. It's not 95% or for the favorite, it's usually one third and two third, and that's what, uh, but but that's what it was for Trump and Clinton. Uh, Trump had a really good chance to win with a small polling error in his favor in key areas, and that's exactly what happened. Yet uh, there were some media and pundits in the United States that were completely shocked that this was once in a century or once in a millennial event where it really wasn't that surprising. And so, shortly after that, in the fall of 2016. Um, there was an article here in Montreal in a newspaper regarding a poll for Quebec. And the article was written by a journalist that clearly hadn't been assigned this by his editor and knew nothing about statistics and margin of error and polling. I figured, you know what, there's a need in the media to have more uh, numbers literacy, to understand what polls mean and also what they don't mean sometimes, what polls say and what they don't say. And so I write it, I started this blog uh, and it became very popular. And uh, yeah, and here I am talking to you today. Wow. Talk to me about the, the system that you've developed, this compilation. Uh, you take in opinion polls, electoral history, demographic data. What sort of made this thing of art that you have? 
lots of uh, a trial and error. Basically, you go from an election. So it, my example back then when I created it was the Quebec election of 2014 with the election of 2018 in sight. And so if I take past results, can I use the, the polling data that we have? And also, as you said, the demographic data that's been cut by electoral writing uh, in st- by Statistics Canada and uh, for, uh, the data from the census. And so can we attribute some... Uh, attributes to voters in those areas so we can at least predict the swing in voting from one election to the other. And the answer is yes. It's not a perfect system, but it's still a pretty good system. From one election to another, if you're following the polling and you identify clear uh, indicators of where uh, the the electorate is going, you can have a a rough idea of what will be the end result in every writing. And so, again, it's not perfect, but in the uh, Ontario election, which was my first election, that's in 2018, Doug Ford went in a majority. Uh, I tested my model for the first time and I called the right winner in 90% of the writings. Three months later in Quebec, again, 90% of the writings. And then the next year with Alberta election, it was 95% of the writings. So again, you always miss a few of them because there are surprises. There are some local effects that polls can miss. But in general, if you pay attention to the data, you can have a good picture of where the vote is going. I know a lot of people online want perfection. It's almost impossible to get perfection, but it still gives you a a good idea of the political landscape at the time. And you, yeah, you've been very successful. Six provincial elections called correctly, two federal elections, although you just had your first provincial election that you got the wrong answer on in Nova Scotia. What happened there? Right. I don't want to make excuses uh, because if I'm ever wrong, again, I'm a scientist and I, I, you know, I work with my students and I show them my work and sometimes you get it wrong. However, in this time, I think I should get a mulligan because the end, the, the reason I got it wrong is there was no poll. There were no polls. And so the, there were three polls during the whole campaign, two in the beginning and only one at the very end. And the polls did see the tightening between the Nova Scotia Liberals and the Progressive Conservatives, but I, 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 we didn't have data enough, enough sample sizes to go into the writings, into the regions and have data. And no poll gave the PC ahead of the Liberals and the PC did win the popular vote, although it was close. I should have pulled out. That's what I would have, should have done. In the last weekend, seeing that I didn't have enough data to give an accurate measure of the political landscape, I should have written to Nova Scotia and saying, listen, I wanted to do this, but there's no data I'm pulling out. I did not. And it would be dishonest for me to take this away from the website. So if people want to trust my work and, and have a credibility in my work, I have to show the good and also the bad. And this is the bad. Uh, so I hopefully it doesn't happen too often. But in future elections, if uh, in Newfoundland or something, there's an election and I see there's absolutely no poll, no data, I will pull out and to so to not mislead uh, readers. And just for the sake of clarity for listeners, you don't actually pull yourself, you take into consideration other pulls that contribute to your model, pulls like Nanos and Angus Reid, and you have them weighted accordingly based on, again, uh, history that you've thought, okay, Nanos is pretty good, Angus Reid, they're good, but they're not as good, so we're not going to weigh them as heavily, and that's how you come up with the data that you have. That is mostly correct, yes. Uh, I, uh, I take a look at the history of pollsters in Canada. The worst pollsters in Canada have gone out of business, and the ones that are left are usually pretty good, but some of them are mostly, uh, like Leger again, Leger for the past few elections has been extremely precise and 
their data. And they clearly have found a, a good recipe with their online panels. The last federal elections, I mean, I know a lot of people like to, uh, to poo-poo polls and they say, oh, polls are not reliable. It's like, really? Have you looked at the last two federal elections? They were right on the money for the most part. And so, you know, if polling is not perfect, it cannot be perfect. But it still gives you a good idea of uh, where things are if uh, you, especially if you follow them day by day and week by week, you can see not only the pure numbers, but the trends, which is as, uh, just as important. Speaking of trends, uh, I, from what I understand, you, you have the statistical model that's all together, but then basically once the election campaign starts, you're just, you're just plugging different things each, in each day. You're running all these different tests. When issues like you know the, the criticism towards Jason Kenney's handling of Alberta or the way that the the leader of the bloc wasn't treated very well. How do you then throw those things in? Yeah, you saw that, huh? Every time I put something in the bottle, it has to be measurable and verifiable. I cannot just put my feelings into it. I mean, sometimes your gut feelings can be good, but then that's not methodology, that's opinion. And I don't put my own impressions and own opinion in there. However, the fact that the Bloc Québécois took five or uh, four or five points after the English debate was measured by polls. And so by paying attention to those numbers, then you can say, okay, there's clearly movement in Quebec right now. This has had an effect. But on the night of, I cannot just say, oh, I'm going to put the block five points higher. I have to wait for the data. Again, data sometimes can be wrong. But by following the data day, day in and day out, you will be right far more often than you will be wrong. And so I'm very careful with impressions. Uh, I, I go with the data. Now, let me ask you this about data. So the, the U.S. is often the elephant in the room to get so much coverage. Uh, do you think that polling data is more efficient in Canada? That's a very good question. Of course, we saw the last two presidential elections in the U.S. where polls were okay. They were not great, usually with polls, because you have to find a way to reach voters, Right. You cannot just walk in the streets and say, you, who do you want to vote for? You have to find a way to reach them. And there used to be a simple way. You just call the home line and people would sometimes answer. Sometimes they wouldn't. And then you compile those numbers and then you had your poll. But then you have cell phones now and cell phones are not listed. And so you have to find a way to reach those voters and to reach voters who are willing to tell you what they think. This is a major, major challenge for pollsters. And in Canada, polls have been much better than uh, polling firms in the United States in recent elections. Now, it's, it could be that maybe pollsters here, since there are fewer of them, only the best ones are left. But there's also the fact that usually with polling, especially political polling, what you miss are the extremes. The extreme left or the extreme right are usually reluctant to speak to the media. They have less trust in their institutions. And uh, we have those in Canada, but in much fewer numbers in the United States. And so a hardened uh, conspiracy theorists and supporters of Donald Trump uh, were less willing than to talk to pollsters during the 2016 and 2020 election. And it's not that many people. It's just one or two points. But in a closely fought election, one or two points in key areas can make a, a great difference in the, uh, in the outcome of the election. And so that is one uh, of the major hypotheses why it's easier to poll Canadians uh, because Canadians have greater trust in their institutions than Americans. It is disparaging, though. It's been documented that there's a growing dissension between Canada and institutions as well, wouldn't you say, too? Yeah, I worry about our sort of neighbors. Whatever uh, one's politics is, you have to be worried about uh, the rise of uh, 
l'autoritarisme if I may it can come from the left or from the right but right now it's the it's the the right wing the white wingers in the United States are uh, less inclined to uh, to be prone to democracy democracy begins when the loser acknowledges that he lost when that's not happening then I'm worried for the future I mean Erin O'Toole lost the last federal election we didn't see Erin O'Toole just claiming on on top of a of a phone book and say this is you know this is a stolen election I didn't lose I'm the 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 the, the prime minister we didn't see that uh, and thank God Philippe you've already cited a couple examples of times where journalists have maybe been a bit out of their element in expressing what the stats are insinuating for an election who ultimately do you think polls are for for the parties for the public or for the pundits? David, that's a very good question. I'm not sure I have a very satisfying answer. It is mostly for the curious minds. Because uh, uh, political polls, when they are done correctly, when they are conducted correctly, are the only objective, quantifiable information we have during an election campaign. That's very important. I know some people do not like polls, but mostly I think it's because they don't understand what they do. They say that polls can influence people. But yeah, but there are signs in the streets. There are radio ads. There are television ads. There are ads on Facebook. There are rallies. Everything, everything during a political campaign is spin. Everything is made for you to influence you to vote for somebody or vote against somebody. Whereas a poll, when it's done correctly, it gives you information on the state of the race. For some people that say there shouldn't be any polls during a campaign or it influences people, for me, it's like saying, oh, the, the, the Canadians are playing the Leafs. The Leafs are leading three to one after two periods. We shouldn't tell them the score so that it doesn't influence their, how they play. Of course, in the third period, you're going to play differently if you lead by two than you trail by two because you adjust your strategy. So, of course, politicians, the, the best politicians, of course, have to do polling all the time to adjust their strategies, to adjust their itineraries across the country. I mean, Justin Trudeau and Erin O'Toole chose where to go in the country during the campaign according to what their polling data indicated. You didn't see Erin O'Toole make a tour of uh, rural Alberta, for instance, because it would have been a waste of his time and of resources. You didn't see Justin Trudeau going into the depths of uh, the interior of BC because, again, it would have been a waste of resources. So, Polling data gives you better information, and with better data, better information, you can make better decisions. Now, humans can sometimes make still bad decisions with uh, good data, but bad data will assuredly <laughs> lead to bad decisions. So, for the public, well, uh, there's I cannot hide the fact that there is uh, entertainment value to this. It's fun to see where the race is at, but then again, for uh, for my website at the federal level, the final numbers were really close to the actual results. And so I think with the understanding that there's some uncertainty in there, uh, I give the margin of error, I give uh, you know the ranges of outcome. Uh, I think my readers were better informed on a state of the race than if they had not consulted my website during the campaign. So it is information. And I think that's why it's so crucial to, to have some of them, some, have some polls during a campaign. Now, have you ever heard a devil's advocate say something, if you're looking at the public perspective, well, this is why I don't vote because I already know how the election is going to turn out? Yeah, I've heard that. My answer to this, however, would be, well, you still have free will. I mean, if that's the reason you're not voting, it's because you feel that your vote won't change anything. 
you're wrong, <laughs> but you are free to do whatever you want. Again, you are free to do whatever you want with this information that is provided by the polls and from polls. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I wish more people voted, more people were involved in their uh, communities. However, it's also a choice that they can make to not get involved. I, I don't agree with that choice, but we have to agree with our differences again. So... If somebody doesn't go to vote because they saw a poll, that would be very strange. I would have tried to talk to this person for sure. <laughs> now, based on all the, you know, so much uh, in these number of years that you've conducted this information and put it together and been very successful in your predictions, if, say, set political party was to hire you on and you were to uh, run a campaign, uh, how might you apply some of this information to convince swing voters based on what you know, and to maybe make up for some of the fallacies that you're seeing that political parties are doing? Well, I will start by saying, David, that uh, I was approached by several parties, provincially, federally. I even had some offers to buy me out at some point early in the in this project. I declined because it's my baby project and getting rid of it would take all the fun. But to answer your question, when I was approached by, uh, I won't say what, what party, but it was several parties, different parties that approached me. I told them I was way too expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I, I said a billion dollars. Had they cough up a billion dollars, yes, I would have considered uh, <laughs> giving it away. But uh, uh, I will not work for a political party. Uh, I will not work for a partisan source. I prefer to be an observer. Politics can be hard on many people because fraction of the population will despise you or hate you, whatever you say, whatever party you join. Uh, you have to deal with uh, a lot of discontent, even though you're doing your best. I think most politicians are honest people, hardworking people that want to improve their communities. But there are also some bad apples in there that the only think for themselves. You really have to be a team player to be in politics today. And I'm not sure I would be cut out for that, even if I'm not a candidate, if I'm just just in the back rooms trying to crunch the numbers. Um, for instance, I give you an example. If, let's say, I was uh, working, uh, if I wasn't, it's just a hypothetical here. Let's say I'm working for the Green Party of Canada in this campaign. And Adam Paul says, the new leader of the Greens say, I'm going to run in Toronto Centre. I would say, that's nuts. That's crazy. You will lose and lose badly. This is bad strategy. The numbers say so. Uh, and she says, well, it's my home. I still want to run in Toronto Centre. I would say, well, then you don't need me, do you? I quit. Bye-bye. Uh, so uh, y y people have to be rational when dealing with politics, but sometimes politics can be very emotional. And um, I, I would not be cut out for that. Hmm. Yeah, you, you, your expensive secrets would be what you just, <laughs> just shared right there a little bit. Oh, that's... Did you say a million? No, I said a billion with a B. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I, I understand that you have received some, some backlash, I'm sure, from differing political parties. Oh, yeah. All the time. Is there anything personally that you do aside from trying to present yourself as nonpartisan to really bolster this image? I found that I, I used to be a hockey referee in my uh, younger days, yet I'm a big hockey fan. And as uh, soon as I put on the referee jersey and I was on the ice with the whistle, it was actually very easy to uh, not root for anybody and just be an observer. It's surprisingly the same with politics. When I analyze the numbers, uh, for me, they're just colors. I try not to, uh, to put my own, as I said, my own impressions and my own opinions in there. Uh, it would not 
be a informative analysis if it was. I mean, I, if I would just spin everything uh, for the NDP or for the liberals or for the conservatives, uh, I would be unveiled very quickly by uh, my, my readers and then my credibility would be out the window. And so I try to present myself as the numbers guy and uh, I hope uh, that's how people perceive me so far. Well, you're doing a good job at it. now. Thank you. Now, I've got to ask you this too, Philippe, because it's been floating around for some time and maybe the writing is on the wall because of what we've seen over the last couple of elections. But if Canada were to all of a sudden remove its first past the post voting, would that take some of the fun out of what you do? Well, uh, it would be a different system. It would, it would need, uh, I would need to reprogram everything that I know about our electoral system. I would not really mind. I mean, I, I know some people really don't like first past the post. They think we should go to proportional representation or some form of proportional representation. Uh, it's, they have, you know, fair arguments. Uh, I'm not a proponent, uh, either way. Uh, it would, it would be very interesting to see how voting intentions would change over time. Because allegiances to parties are strong among, for many people, but uh, not with young people. And so if uh, Canada or a province implemented a proportional representation, I think with time you would see uh, the, the, the big major parties uh, lose support gradually and you have a, 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 a more diverse landscape among political parties. So that could be very interesting, but... It would not very change much what I do. I would still analyze the polls and just the seat projections would have to be adjusted. That could be fun. But so far, the appetite for proportional representation is there, but I'm not sure it's there for a majority of uh, of voters in Canada. So we'll see. It's interesting that young people haven't jumped in full on that yet. Okay, so a lot of my audience uh, are people of faith, Christians and I wonder, have you ever considered trying to apply some of your models or just dig into the numbers that are in the prophecies in the Bible and all that's wrapped up in that? The thing is, I do not have the uh, the Christian faith in me. When I see the Bible, and of course, I have a lot of Muslim students. They uh, they showed me uh, the Quran and they uh, also said, oh, the Quran predicted the Big Bang Theory. And I go, oh, like that? Well, not really. When you look at the text, you go like, oh, there's a... Uh, light that comes and you know, it looks like the Genesis basically <laughs> when light comes on um, so um, I'm not sure it's 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 it would be used for uh, for scientific observations which doesn't mean it doesn't have value but as for scientific observation that would be a bit harder to, to, to do we have to pay you more than a billion dollars <laughs> well yeah, it's negotiable <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would say two centuries before those when I, I would I would say that most scholars would say the New Testament was written not 12 centuries. It, it, wasn't it written in the 3rd and 4th and 5th century? The New Testament was uh, after, like after, primarily written after Christ. Christians believe that that was, you know, the year 2021, and that was like 2000, 2021 years after Christ, so... Uh, but uh, yes, you're, you're correct. Uh, the, but uh, I, I thought that the, uh, the first uh, texts of the New Testament were approved in the 4th century or something, but they were written before, of course. Uh, yeah. They were, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't much before, uh, at the most, yeah, I would, I would say like within a few hundred years before Christ. You have a better understanding of those, uh, I, so I will not, uh, I will not uh, argue with you on this, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's okay, that's okay. I just... Just for the sake of clarity, you've touched on hockey a couple of times. Did you successfully predict that the, the Canadians would beat the Leafs in the playoffs <laughs> last year? 
absolutely not. That was not in the cards. I had, I mean, of course, I grew up here, so I'm a Habs fan. Uh, I am pretty sure if you follow hockey, I'm, I have, I would bet that you're a Leafs fan for just. I am, yes. Yeah, of course, you have to be, right? Uh, and the Leafs, oh my goodness, they're good this year. But uh, last year, after game four, I was like, okay, let's just finish it so I can uh, forget about it. And when the, the Habs uh, got to game seven, I figured, you know what, they're winning because the Leafs are playing. Uh, worse and worse at every game. I don't know what happened, but uh, I did not predict this at all. It was a lot of fun. I do not hate the Leafs, by the way. I'm a Habs fan who likes the Leafs. That's surprising. It's it's surprising because I grew up hating the Bruins. <laughs> you know, we didn't... I mean, I'm, I'm in my early 40s, and so the Leafs and Habs was not a rivalry that I grew up with. It was the Bruins. Uh, so every day... Yeah, we, we can fight in that. I don't like the Bruins either. Every year, the Bruins beat the Leafs. I go, like, just once I want the Leafs to beat the Bruins. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, this year, uh, the Habs will not make the playoffs, so the Leafs should be okay for the first round. <laughs> All right. Very good. <laughs> uh, Philippe, so appreciate you taking this time to uh, let us in on the, the secrets. Well, some of the secrets, the ones that we haven't uh, coughed up the big bucks for again of 338. <laughs> Have a great day, David. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasant guy. Might not see eye to eye on things in the Bible, but that's okay. Lots to learn from him. And if you want to find out anything more about Philippe Fournier or his election predictions at 338, you can check out the show notes at davidmanmedia.com. Next time on Culture at a Crossroads. Next month, we commemorate Vimy Ridge, one of Canada's most historic battles from the Great War. Not only that, but we recognize the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. To get a fuller sense of war and our country's role, we'll chat with Canadian military historian Ted Barris, and we'll dive in particularly to the unsung heroes of medics, much like in the pandemic. For Culture at a Crossroads, I'm David Mann. Thanks for joining us today, and we invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus.